from Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 19. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the day will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, when will this be, and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And Jesus said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for those things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famine and plagues. And there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your souls. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. <laughs> so today is the last Sunday of ordinary time, otherwise known as the time after Pentecost, the time when pastor's hair has been green for so long, we don't know if it's fading into blonde or what. <laughs> I'm ready for Advent, I think, as many of you know. But it's that season through June to November where our readings focus on discipleship, on stewardship, on growing in faith as we follow Jesus through his ministry. And I'm really ready for something new, but Advent is not quite here yet, no matter what the Christmas songs on the radio say. And I think it's a lot of what's going on in our readings today that we're getting ready, but it's not quite yet. Next week we celebrate Christ the King Sunday, and as we close this season in the church, as we begin to close this year of the church season, we're looking to what's coming next, and often today's reading is filled with apocalypse, apocalyptic texts for us to wrestle with. And usually I'm one of those weirdos who loves apocalypse in the Bible. I love the book of Daniel, which is one of the two main books in scripture that we think of when we think of apocalypse. I love the imagery, the symbolism, all of the mystery that we find there. And although I don't love it as much, Revelation also has some of those beautiful images and really interesting ideas for the way that uh, the writer is able to describe John, or God's kingdom. And the reality, though, which we read today, is that not all apocalyptic scripture is beautiful or even super interesting, at least not at first glance. And I recognize that our culture takes apocalypse to mean the end of the world. We see this often, usually with the post-apocalypse 
in our media in movies about zombies or road warriors or small robots that clean up the earth after humanity has made it uninhabitable. We just got Disney Plus. We've been watching Wally. And so if you have not, it's a very cute Pixar movie. And it's even Disney is doing post-apocalyptic in their media too. And so maybe it won't surprise you if you've heard me talk about apocalypse before, if you've come to the Daniel or Revelation Bible studies I've done, that scripture talking about apocalypse is very different than the way our culture understands it. In Greek, apocalypse simply means to open eyes, to reveal, to unveil things previously not known. And so in Daniel, his visions of the end are revealing something about God's action in Daniel's world with a hope for the future. In Revelation, the visions of John unveil the beauty that surpasses our human imaginations in God's kingdom in its fullness. And today's readings have that air of apocalypse to them, too. Maybe not as obvious as Daniel and Revelation, but they're there. Luke and 2 Thessalonians both seem to be getting at a more practical unveiling of God's kingdom. A practical reality, just the truth of the world around them. And I had never really thought about apocalyptic scripture as practical before. Because apocalypse, especially as we understand it today, seems anything but practical. And so as I wrestled with today's readings, I found myself missing some of that beautiful imagery and mystery that we find in those other texts. And we kind of get it in Malachi. Malachi's message is one of God's justice for those who have been waiting, for those who are oppressed by arrogance and evil in the world. Malachi does give us some powerful imagery in those few verses, but it's not always beautiful imagery. Too many have, have heard those words of fire and brimstone and ovens used to push them out, to put them down, and as excuses for violence and worse, for me to immediately see poetry there. But I think about the ways in which God uses fire to refine, to make new, and I think about that imagery, that burning imagery of a sun rising. A sun filled with righteousness, with healing on its wings. And I imagine the sun rising in the morning with those wisps of pinks and blues in the sky. And I imagine, what if those wisps of the clouds around the sun are the healing wings, as Malachi describes? And so I'm able to find some of that beauty there, in that eye-opening picture of God's justice, in the way in which Malachi imagines a more practical apocalypse for those who suffer, who look for hope, and an unveiling of a day that will come when God's healing will shine all over the world, when those who have endured suffering will find God's justice. In Luke, Jesus has just finished talking to his disciples about the widow and her two mites. That's the reading right before this. So Jesus is pointing out the widow who gives everything that she has to a temple that is not taking care of her. She gives everything that she has to the religious people who are there, who are called to care for her and who don't. And immediately after, Jesus has just tried to teach them this lesson. Those around Jesus begin to speak about how beautiful the temple is, about its stones and the gifts to God that it represents. 
It's no wonder Jesus begins his own apocalyptic unveiling here, and he begins it with the destruction of that very temple. As those around him focus on the place their faith represents, Jesus attempts to disrupt their admiration, which does change their focus, but not in the direction that I think Jesus was hoping for. Instead of hearing these words as words of hope that the institution that takes from the widow but doesn't care for her will be torn down, they ask Jesus, well, when is it going to happen? How will we know? Where's the sign? How can we prepare? How can we be in control of what's going to happen, Jesus? And so Jesus lists off his own apocalyptic prophecy for his followers, one that isn't new, that isn't just future, but also present and past that repeats itself over and over again, and often we struggle to see. The violence and wars, persecution and oppression, broken relationships and unjust systems, all these things that were already occurring in Jesus' time and occurring in our world today, it's a practical apocalypse, a very realistic unveiling of the truth and brokenness in our own world. And I think it's interesting having this Luke text with 2 Thessalonians today, because I can't help but wonder if someone has come and led some of those Thessalonians astray, telling them that they know when the end is coming, because that's one of the warnings Jesus gives as part of his little apocalypse, is to not follow those who will come in his name, who say that the, the end is near. And he's reminding them of this, and Jesus reminds those listening not to be terrified when these things will happen, when these things will come to pass. And it all seems to me like it's leading up to what's happening in Thessalonica. Second Thessalonians has often been used as a proof text against helping those who are experiencing homelessness, who are living in poverty, who, quote, choose to live that way. Yeah, honestly, to use that scripture that way, I think, is a disservice to our calling to serve others, to those we serve, and to the text itself. Because the issue isn't caring for people who are dealing with addiction or mental illness or histories of trauma like this text is often used to dismiss. The issue is that in the church in Thessalonica, they are all living together in a commune-type situation. Think back to early Acts, everyone shares everything, they all live together in a shared community. Living that way means everyone who can needs to pull their weight, especially so that those who are unable to work are able to be cared for. Paul, in this letter, is getting a very practical issue, though, of apocalyptic scripture and its understanding, because it can be so easily manipulated into being only about the end of everything. Jesus points to this in Luke to be aware of those who come to lead people astray, claiming their own greater knowledge of the end of times, that they know the when and the how, somehow. That the hard part with apocalypse is that it has this beauty and the unveiling of God's kingdom, of healing, of hope, but it can be so easily understood in ways that can cause harm to individuals and to communities. And Thessalonica is no exception. And so there are those in the community of Thessalonica who have actually ceased to participate. They think that the end is coming any time, so why bother? That's what's really going on there, is they believe that the end is coming, so why serve? Why work? Why testify? Why give witness to their faith? Why care? And I think that's an important lesson for many of us in our world today. 
We might not feel like Jesus' return is so imminent that we lose motivation for anything else, but I do think that many of us experience those moments of apathy. There's so much, so much in our world today, in our lives today, and maybe you need to hear Jesus' comforting words not to be terrified in the midst of violence and wars, persecution and oppression, broken relationships and unjust systems, Maybe the fear of what is to come has you wondering what sign you should be looking for from Jesus, like those who gathered around him in our reading today. And maybe it's not fear or terror, but just the sense of being overwhelmed. I've said it before, but I can say it again because it's still true. There is so much need. There are so many who are hurting that sometimes it feels like so much we find ourselves overwhelmed and we find ourselves asking, why bother? Maybe it's simply the reality that with everything going on, we find ourselves looking to buildings, to individual people, to anything but our own faith in God to give us the answer. We as Christians in America aren't being persecuted, but we do struggle to testify, to talk about our faith, to talk about Jesus and why Jesus matters to us. And so in the midst of all this practical apocalypse with some nice imagery of healing and warmth and sunshine, I struggled with my own reactions to these texts. And maybe as you heard them read today, you did too, because they're not easy. But maybe they can unveil something for us. And for me, it was in our psalm. In Psalm 98, the psalmist is praising God saying, Sing a new song to the Lord who has done marvelous things, whose right hand and holy arm have won the victory. And I go to this because as part of this apocalyptic unveiling and the practicality that in the coming day, whatever that day might look like, whether it is one of fire or sunshine, of wars or buildings falling, one of communities coming together or being torn apart by indifference, it's God's victory in the end. It's God's victory. It's Jesus' victory on the cross over sin and death that brings righteousness into the world. Lighting the way with the sun of righteousness through Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus rises from the dead and brings healing on the wisps of the sunlight into our world so that all of creation might experience joy, so that the rivers clap their hands and the hills can ring out with song because the one who comes to judge the earth is the one who gave all of himself for the earth, for you and for me, so that we might find our eyes opened today because that's what Jesus is calling us to. Calling us to serve, to care, to testify, and to share the marvelous things God has done for each and every one of us so that we can go out into the world sharing the light of God's healing with those who need it so that we can not be afraid but be empowered to share our faith and the grace God gives us with those we meet, so that we might be inspired by the examples given to us through Scripture and through our own lives to care for one another and the community around us. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.